Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from your Super Talk Mississippi app. Of course, you can find us on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. You can watch us, too. We are on your computer, your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. You'll see our guest for today. He is currently celebrating his 15th season as music director of the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, Mr. Steve. Stephen Bias. Hey, Stephen. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing? It's nice to chat with you. It is a good day. It's a beautiful day. A little windy out there, at least in central Mississippi. How's the weather there in north Mississippi? You know, it's a little gray and covered, but uh, I've been travel- traveling so much. I live in California, so it's uh, much drier at the moment, <laughs> which is ironic uh, here in northern Mississippi. But I always love being here. I feel like I'm home with all the roots I have in Tupelo and the surrounding region here. Well, you're back in Mississippi because you guys have a big program coming up on January the 21st. But first, I want to talk about the orchestra. I know many may think of the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, but we may not realize that we have multiples in our state. So how do you explain North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra to somebody who didn't know we had one? Well, the orchestra here in Tupelo started in 1971 as the Tupelo Symphony Orchestra. But over the last, oh, I'd say 15 years or so, uh, ever since I became music director, one of my goals was to expand the footprint and connection to the community here in North East Mississippi and, in fact, North Mississippi and take our orchestra to communities that are out near the Alabama state line, like Starkville and Columbus, and up toward uh, Memphis. To where we have a performance in April in Senatobia. We've taken the orchestra out to Cleveland, to Delta State University. So we changed our name to North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra to reflect that outreach and that desire to connect to communities up here. You know, it's a, it's a big production and an expensive venture to support a professional symphony orchestra and a lot of these smaller communities can't afford that sort of production and enterprise so what a what a wonderful thing it is for us to be able to take what we do here in Tupelo and then take it and share it with these other communities it it builds a lot of connections and um uh, essentially uh, strengthens and grows the fabric of what we do, of culture here. I mean, Tupelo is just one of the most delightful gems of a small city in the United States. As a matter of fact, 
The North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra has been identified by the League of American Orchestras as the smallest city in the United States that has a professional, fully professional level with a, with a full season like we do. And it's, uh, it's significant because Tupelo has uh, professional ballet companies, uh, an award-winning community theater, a wonderful museum, uh, just, uh, just tons of cultural activities, and we're proud to be anchored here in this delightful gem of a city. Well, I also think it's a good reminder to all the parents or maybe grandparents listening who have kids that are interested in the arts to remind them that there are career paths uh, that can go beyond maybe just their interest there in high school or even in college to that sort of professional sort of level. And when you have opportunities like the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, you're also giving those creatives or when you support the orchestra, you're giving those creatives the opportunity to you know support their families with their own gifts and talents. And so when we're talking about a full orchestra, Stephen, how, how many are out there? How many are in when they're all coming together? How many um, musicians do you have? Well, of course, the repertoire will change how many people we need to play any given piece. But I'd say the average number is about 60 to 70 musicians. And uh, we draw, of course, because Tupelo is a small town. Some of our musicians come from Tupelo, but an enormous number come from outside the immediate area from the region and the surrounding environs. But we have a large number of musicians that come from Memphis and Tuscaloosa, some from Birmingham, Jackson, uh, even some that come from Louisiana from time to time and, and Arkansas as well. So it's a huge five state draw. And um, it, for all of the reasons you said, yes, the connections to what we do, we, we perform beautiful music. But our mission is try is a, is a try mission where beautiful music and performing these things and bringing world class artists is one. The second and an equal one is education. Um, you, you know, we're learning now here in the 21st century that involvement with the arts uh, can, uh, creates synaptic activity on both sides of the lobes of the brain that can't be replicated in any other activity in life, and we see that by playing and studying music or dance or painting or, or writing these these activities are helping uh reading comprehension and in math especially uh, music and math with those fractional relationships are cre- raising math awareness and comprehension and uh, t- uh the test scores that we so deeply and intensely chase in the school systems are being raised because students are finding new ways to think about things and the arts and particularly music uh, allow students to grow i we we say this really frequently with the north mississippi symphony orchestra is that we're not in the business of training new musicians or, or trying to get people to be musicians but rather use music in their lives so that we create a whole human being that's w-h-o-l-e you know a whole human being uh, because some of the best doctors dentists teachers uh really some of the i, I met recently a, a truck driver because i travel so much i met someone uh who asked what i did and i said i'm an orchestra conductor and i was astonished at the exactitude and detail this gentleman was describing about his favorite composers and how he had listened to music but never played an instrument, but how much it had helped him grow his trucking business. 
And so music is just a great aid, and it's it's a huge part of what we do with the orchestra. And, and what I said before about going to other communities, the third part of our mission is outreach. So between the presenting great music by great artists and bringing solos from all around the world, education and outreach, that's a pretty full um, responsibility that we take very seriously here. You talk about in northern Mississippi. the education piece to it, Stephen. Our current Miss Mississippi, Miss Emmy Perkins, her platform is actually music is medicine. And so she talks about how even for those maybe a little bit wiser in years, they've graduated and moved on, but how it can be a bedside sort of tool to help with cognitive development. She could go through all the things, and she does. But, but it just goes to show that at any age, music has a valuable uh, part in all of our lives, whether we recognize it or not. And it's a great great way to sort of embrace it. But I would say the music that comes from a symphony or comes from an orchestra is a little bit different or special. And how? what do you think sets it apart from just going, obviously, if you go to a concert, you got someone singing, I know that's a little different. But how do you sort of encourage folks to try out a symphony for the first time? Like if they if they've never been and felt it with all five senses? You know, uh, that is such a, that is a great question. It's a little complex, but I have an easy answer. I, I grew up in a very rural part of northern Georgia, and I had no access to music. Nobody in my family was musical. But when I was eight years old, I was busted downtown Atlanta to hear a symphony orchestra. And that experience changed my life. It was electrifying seeing these exotic instruments that I'd never seen or heard of and doing things differently at the same time to create this harmony and this working together it was a subconscious uh, confirmation of what true democracy is when you're working with other people and you make things uh, come to accord or in, and you work in harmony but also for the reasons that you said the cognitive development and miss mississippi by the way love her and could not possibly agree with her more about the developmental aspects that are so beneficial of music but the idea that um, you come to a symphony orchestra has been embedded in many people's mind as, as an event where you have to dress up, or you have to act a certain way, and you don't know when to clap. And My personal mission, my entire professional career has been to remove the mystery of that sort of activity. Uh, I, for every concert that I conduct, no matter if it's all around the country, here or overseas, I speak to the audience. I think people want to know something about the music because really not everybody is a trained orchestral musician or knows so many details about a composer's life or the music of the orchestra. But to talk about something that's fascinating about listen here, how the cello and the French horn will combine. Now, listen to this sound here. The composers ask the percussionist to scrape a triangle beater across a cymbal or the timpani player has to put coins on top of the drum when he's playing to create the sound of a motor. And I draw and just essentially like a little musical travelogue to the audience a picture, a map, so that they can get more enjoyment out of the music. I mean, certainly, being a passive consumer in a symphony orchestra, you're going to enjoy whatever they're playing. It's just a thrilling experience to sit and watch all these people, uh, again, doing something different at the same time to create harmony. Stephen, we're going to continue this harmony. We're going to continue this conversation with Stephen Bias coming up next.
making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. You can watch good things. We are on your computer, your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com where we're continuing our conversation with Stephen Bias. He is celebrating 15 seasons as the music director for the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra. They've got a big production coming up this weekend, January the 21st. What What's happening this weekend, Stephen? Well, uh, one of those concerts, you know, you asked about uh, people coming to a symphony concert. I always say, just come to the concert, you'll be thrilled. And I really mean that because every program has something that's embracing and exciting uh, to see and watch the orchestra do what they do and certainly to hear it. But we have a concert uh, that I titled Amazing Grace uh, because one of the pieces on the program, we begin with a version of Amazing Grace by the American composer Jennifer Higdon, uh, who's uh, being played all over the world these days. Uh, beautiful arrangement for strings. But we have uh, a new flute concerto. We were part of a consortium last year, uh, young flutist by the name of Brian Dunbar, um, who uh, is a young black flutist, remarked that there was only one piece by a black composer, for flute and orchestra. So he contacted a friend who is also a black composer and spoke to him about this. And they felt like it was necessary to write a new work uh, to go into the canon by a black composer. And he titled this this, uh, work Movements. And it has four separate movements uh, titled Loop It, Think It, Love It, and Move It. And it's all about the philosophy of of life being a fluid entity and that you have control over these things by the way you think about them. So each of the movements is some aspect about thinking about life and it shows the the flute in a huge variety of ways of what is possible to play on the flute uh, and it's a lovely piece and this is the second performance. It was premiered last April so we're really happy to give a Mississippi premiere and in fact just the second performance of this piece ever. The final piece on the program is one of the most dramatic pieces written in the latter half of the 20th century. It's called New Morning for the World, Daybreak of Freedom by the American closer Joseph Schwantner. It takes excerpts from speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King and sets them to music. And Schwantner's music, if, if there was one thing that I can say in a very generalized way, is that his music is kaleidoscopically exciting. You get to see and hear everything that the orchestra can do from really exciting pounding drums to these sparkling sounds that are created with percussion bells and high woodwinds and strings playing in various registers. But our narrator, Zell Long, who is the director of the Boys and Girls Club of Tupelo, is our guest narrator to deliver these excerpts from the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King, and it's an incredibly moving piece of music, but also exciting to see the orchestra in their full kaleidoscopic view as well. Where will this take place in Tupelo? Uh, This concert takes place at the Harrisburg Baptist Church. They have this gorgeous facility that seats 1,500 people where there's not a bad sight line in the entire 
sanctuary of the church, and uh, we're happy to be there uh, to welcome a large contingent of our Tupelo population and, and the surrounding environs. How long does it take the orchestra to sort of practice or come together or prepare for a program like this? I mean, I'm thinking with that many folks out there all doing their own disciplines and all having to come together, how long do you guys prepare leading up to one of your mini concerts? That's a great question, and this will be a shocking answer. We have two rehearsals only. And because people are coming in from so many places, uh, we rehearse Friday night and Saturday morning, and then we present our performances. And, you know, we have to be very picky about the professional players that we send the music weeks in advance. People prepare it. I sometimes share recordings or write to the orchestra to give them a heads up about something that's particularly tricky. But then they come in, barreling in from five states, and we rehearse on Friday night, again on Saturday morning, and then we perform. But it's a testament, I mean, a real testament to the quality of of musicians and players that we're able to engage, and they just do wonderfully. Uh, and this weekend is even busier. Between that second rehearsal on Saturday morning and the performance on Saturday night, we're presenting a free, sensory-friendly family concert in between uh, with with mostly different music. So we have to we have to really cram a lot of music for preparation in a short amount of time, but it's what we feel is necessary and desirable to connect and serve our community. Explain that, because when you think about something being uh, sensory, I guess, appropriate, you would think not loud. It would not be changing of different sounds. It would not be kind of over overwhelming, which are sometimes the very things that you put with a great orchestra performance in, in the best way, not that it's uh, you know obnoxious. So how do you guys blend or change to make it a little bit more friendly for those that have sensory disorders? That is a great question. And of course, uh, we have so many wonderful members of our society who are on the autism spectrum, who are immensely and powerfully contributing members of the society, but who have sensitivities that don't allow them to be in certain situations. And music, of course, runs the gamut from soft to loud, fast to slow. And depending on how these things are packaged, they can be too overwhelming for some of our patrons. So I choose music that tends to be or can be gentler in volume and also in tempo and changes. Uh, it usually is a slightly smaller orchestration, so it's not so many instruments, but we also temper the lights. I talk about each of the pieces. We encourage our our patrons who come to the concert to move around, and they can move around. We also have some uh, uh, rooms outside of the performance space where people can go to be quiet in those quiet rooms. Plus, we have um, uh, therapists and other medical people on staff that can help uh, those who need assistance if they feel like they need to go. We also provide fidget spinners and also hearing protection for those who might need it. But everything from the lighting to the sound to the tempo uh, to the things I talk about the concert are meant to be more palatable and acceptable to a wide range of people who would otherwise never have the opportunity to come to a concert. We often hear, when we present these programs, we often hear from parents uh, this extreme deep gratitude because their children have never had the opportunity to be in an, in, in an environment like that. So 
We're, we're very proud of this series and uh, happy that we're able to present it. And also the family have the opportunity to go do something as an entire unit, which I think sometimes we take for granted if you've got family members who, or you don't have any family members who may need or require some special, I guess, help or treatment to, to sort of enjoy the same things. How many concerts do y'all have in a season? You mentioned, Stephen, that there's a season. Are we in the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season? Where are we in this season? We're right in the middle. We have six major programs during the year. That's, you know, with the full orchestra. And we may invite choruses or other community groups uh, to be with us. We do two productions with the Tupelo Ballet. Uh, we just did our big annual Nutcracker sold-out performances and having to add performances. And we're doing Sleeping Beauty with the ballet in the spring. But we're also a proud partner with Carnegie Hall in New York City uh, for their educational program titled Link Up. And over the last 10 years, we've performed for uh, over 50,000 students in, in this just our immediate area, in Tupelo and Lee County and the counties around Tupelo. So uh, um, th- th- we do th- those performances in Tupelo. Before the pandemic came and, and made us stop and start doing things virtually, we were also taking that link-up program to places like New Albany, and Oxford, uh, Fulton, uh, and we're exploring other areas where we may be able to take that educational concert out as well. So with that, we're doing something about once a month here, uh, sometimes more frequently. But uh, we're right in the middle of the season right now. All Y'all the way are busy, May. super busy. You mentioned the P word, which is the pandemic. I think one of my favorite things during the pandemic was watching musicians come together on Zoom to sort of practice or still create music that way. It sometimes went well. It sometimes didn't. But it was kind of an interesting medium to try to, you know, uh, coordinate all their efforts. Did y'all have any fun or f- funny moments during the pandemic trying to keep keep everybody together you know it was it was a challenge for everyone and and i acknowledge that but we did some remarkably creative things we assembled the orchestra we found a space that where we could uh, record that could uh, have air exchange that was proper and we could have one-way patterns so people could come on and off stage and of course we stayed masked but we created virtual performances at the ford center at the university of mississippi in oxford and we negotiated with wtva our local uh, uh, television station here to broadcast those concerts for the public and we did some very creative things with small orchestras and in many ways, even though there were so many hardships uh, during the the pandemic, uh, we were made to think about doing things in a new way. And that was a very positive thing, not only for our orchestra, but I dare say for the entire world. I, I keep reading Stephen, articles about can you keep with us? Football's... Can you stick with us? Yes, I certainly can. All righty, we've got more with Stephen and the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra coming up next. Upbeat, positive, and stories that make you smile. This is Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm.
You can listen to good things on supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Supertalk Mississippi app. You can also find us on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station, but you'll have to have to head to Tupelo to hear the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra as they are playing Amazing Grace this upcoming, I think it's Sunday, right? Uh, right, Stephen? It's Sunday the 21st, or is that Saturday? Saturday. 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 Get my days and, wrong. Uh, okay, it's Saturday. Don't come Sunday. You'll miss it. So it's Saturday. What time yes. does it kick off? Uh, well, our, our uh, sensory-friendly family concert, which is free, is at 3 o'clock. And the performance uh, with the Amazing Grace and our new flute work and the uh, New Morning for the World with quotes of Dr. Martin Luther King is at 7.30. And that's all at the Harrisburg Baptist Church on Cliff Gookin Boulevard here in, Missis- in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi. Where do we get tickets or do we get them at the door? You know, you can buy tickets at the door if you like. You can also go on to uh, our website at NM Symphony, North Mississippi Symphony dot com and purchase tickets there. But also at the door, tickets will be available. I want to talk about your level of, I guess, uh, musicians that you talk about that the North Mississippi Symphony Orchestra has. And I think there's a lot of parents or just people listening wondering, what is it like to be a professional orchestra player or to be in the symphony? What does it take for those? And I think the word athlete keeps coming to mind because if you've ever played an instrument, I mean, it's a physical, demanding kind of thing to do up to the level, I would assume, for an orchestra. But what what does a day in the life of a professional player look like or how much work's going into behind the scenes for them to show up and be able to perform for a concert for, for the audience? Well, those are very good insights because playing a musical instrument is in many ways an athletic endeavor. If you're playing a string instrument, uh, the motion, just the repetitive motion of uh, moving your arm and your elbow and your shoulder uh, with your body and holding something in, in a, well, basically an inorganic way, an unnatural way to play. You must learn how to do these things without injuring yourself. So it is uh, very much involved in stamina and uh, endurance, very much like an athlete would be doing. The amount of study that it takes to be a professional musician is usually a college degree, uh, at the minimum of a bachelor's degree. Many, if not most, go on to study at the master's and or doctoral level or get further training and internship. So similar to a doctor, it's about a six to ten year period before people can launch into a professional career. If you are really fortunate, you can win a position in a major symphony orchestra that has a 52-week season where you're performing uh, something going on the entire year. And a lot of our musicians are... Uh, university professors or some teach in the high schools uh, in various ways. Many teach privately, but they're freelance musicians. For example, our concert master is the professor of violin at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. She also teaches privately, but then she plays in the orchestras in Meridian, Mobile, Birmingham, Huntsville, Tupelo. Uh, it's remarkable uh, that all of our musicians do that. They're itinerant in that way, but Music is such a crucial and important part of their lives that they find ways to connect to these orchestras. And as I mentioned before, with only two rehearsals, the expectations and requirements are very stringent. So people must receive their music, prepare it properly, come together, rehearse quickly, and then present a concert as if we had been rehearsing for a full week. 
So the demands are are there, and I also like to say the the uh, the stakes are significantly higher than anything in the sports world. I my father was very fond of quoting baseball stats and saying things like, "Well, you're batting a thousand on that." Well, you know, a good baseball average is in the three hundreds or so, but can you fathom even missing two or three percent of the notes you're supposed to play in an orchestra? Uh, it's going to create some discordance, chaos that's there. So the stakes are higher, the demands are higher, and uh, it's it's a stringent, tough field, but people identify their passion for it and study and employ themselves however they can as a working musician. I feel like they need some sort of reality show or something to bring them to life as superheroes, like Chef's kind of got this great PR trend a couple of years back, right, that sort of made it being sexy to be a chef out of nowhere, because I feel like it's a completely, you know, um, uh, it's a profession that doesn't get enough credit for all the talent and work, and uh, I guess that goes into it, and it's super cool, and it's available, it's one of those life skills that if you're able to play an instrument, even if you don't rise to that level, you can enjoy doing that activity from the time you learn it till, you know, as long as you continue to play it. And you can't do that with certain other sports or or activities. So, Stephen, I'm curious, do you play an instrument? I know you're the director and conductor and, you know, you don't necessarily play in the orchestra. But did you pick up an instrument along the way of your love of the symphony? Oh my goodness! I picked up almost all of them. I, I again, I grew up in a rural place in northern Georgia without access to music, so the school band was my outlet. Uh, I started playing trumpet, but very shortly after that, switched to the saxophone, and then I played bassoon, which was an instrument that I uh, went on to study all the way through the master's level and played professionally as a bassoonist. But I also played in a professional big band on saxophone for about 10 years and um, I studied uh, violin and piano through graduate school but in different guises you know growing up in Georgia playing in marching band I played other brass instruments and being a saxophone player in in a jazz band you learn to double on flute and clarinet easily and for a while I played for Broadway shows when I lived in Atlanta uh, so it, it's important for a conductor to have knowledge of, of all the instruments of the orchestra. There aren't many, many people, if I may say, who have a, as extensive uh, experience as I in actually performing on these instruments. But I've, I've always loved it. It's, it's always been something that I've loved. But my principal instruments are bassoon and saxophone. I played for a long time, and only last year, for the first time in 21 years of not playing, I've only been conducting, I resurrected my saxophone playing skills to perform for a fundraiser for the orchestra here in Mississippi when we assembled a New Orleans jazz band uh, for our 50th anniversary gala. I resurrected my saxophone playing skills and played again. It was a real joy to return to performing because, as you say, it is a gift for life. I mean, you learn to play, and you whether you do it well or not, you can continue doing it until you're no longer around. And that's that's one of the great gifts of, of instrumental music. Well, your love for the symphony is infectious, Stephen. I feel like you've probably convinced someone to at least, you know, turn on some uh, classical music if they haven't heard it in a while or come out and sort of see the orchestra. What is it about the classics that just, I don't know, it speaks to all of us, even if we don't want to listen to it all day long, but when you hear it, you know, your mood changes. You just sort of relax into it 
is something that's ineffable about music is that uh, the most powerful moments in our lives are accompanied by the most powerful emotions. That's what makes them so memorable. And uh, uh, when we can't find a way to express our emotions, music does that perfectly. It doesn't do it in words, but it does it in notes and sounds. And that's what that's all music is. It's just sounds. But my goodness. Some music you can put on can just bring you to tears just because of the sheer beauty of it. And what a great way to make ourselves healthy human beings by exercising all of our emotions, by not only finding a way to express them through words or actions, but to have something that can also exercise our emotions and make us feel a certain way. Uh, We accompany the most important, significant moments in our lives with music, whether it's a wedding, a birth, a death. Uh, graduations, uh, I mean, it's always accompanied by music because there's one element. There's always one or, or more dimensions that can be accessed even further and enhanced through having music be part of it. And I I felt that way from when I was a, a very bushy-haired, bright-eyed third grader going to hear an orchestra for the first time. It was so powerful. The experience is, I, I, I still have it today. I can remember in vivid detail. So I tell people, don't worry about what you have to wear. Don't worry about acting in any certain way. Just come to the concert. I promise you're not only going to enjoy it, but you're going to find something that will thrill you. And, you know, that's from someone who had no experience and didn't know what to do and didn't know when to clap. And, and uh, I want that experience for everyone. I want everyone to have the opportunity to experience the power of music, exactly as I experience it every time I conduct the orchestra. I can't help but think of the scene in Pretty Woman where she whoop, 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 whoop in the middle of it, but that's that's not necessarily orchestra. <laughs> I mean, that, but, but I guess orchestra was sort of playing, and I think, you know, you know what? I think they'll appreciate any kind of applause or or uh, good cheer that you give them. And that's this weekend. It's Saturday at 730. Where do we get our tickets or learn more information, Stephen? At the door at Harrisburg Baptist Church, there on Cliff Cookin Boulevard in Tupelo, or on our website, nmsymphony.com, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Well, I appreciate your time, Stephen. You guys, best of luck. Break a leg. Not sure if we can say that with orchestras, but I hope it goes well, and you're welcome back anytime. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. I'll look forward to the next time. All right, you guys stick with us. we got a few more good things for you coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. I see trees of green, red roses too. 
Welcome back to Good Things. Have you subscribed to Super Talk Mississippi News this week in Mississippi Newsletter? If not, you should. You can subscribe to Super Talk Mississippi News this week in Mississippi Newsletter. That's a mouthful. And you'll get the news stories you need to know from the most powerful name in Mississippi News delivered to your email. And that is free. You can go to supertalk.fm slash newsletter to sign up today. And if you were listening to our conversation with Stephen and you missed any of it, you can find it later on YouTube. Just go to Super Talk's YouTube page. But if you also are thinking, ah, classical music, orchestras, that's not really for me, I would say if you're from a certain generation, you probably enjoy more classical music than you think because it was intertwined into what you enjoyed every Saturday morning. I learned that from Rhino. So, yeah, I mean, that used to be kind of what we woke up to Saturday mornings listening to. Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies are... Really, the only reason I had exposure to some classical music as a child, because, I mean, my dad was always very musical, but it wasn't Stravinsky, it wasn't Mozart, it wasn't any of the the classical composers, it was just music, usually like gospel music or something like that. But when you watch Merry Melodies and you watch the little ducks going around, and that's, that's music written 400 years before that you just didn't realize was something you would also go hear an orchestra play. Well, too, when you think about movies, there usually is an orchestra of some capacity with some of the intense, I guess, sounds. The score. Or the score or the sounds that sort of draw you in to emphasize like what's going on, which I always thought if you could detach that what it was like to actually do the acting or seeing the raw footage, it was probably a lot more boring than what you actually get while you're in the movie theater, completely surrounded, you know, by the um, all the sights and the sounds that go along with it. Just the knock at the door, the suspense that comes with it and all that. I mean, that's created by an orchestra of some capacity. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you think of any horror movie or suspense film. When you know there's Alfred there's Hitchcock. something fixing to jump out at you, that yeah. jump scare. 99 times out of 100, unless they are actively trying to hide the jump scare, you're going to hear the strings start playing that high-pitched note note that kind of, that, that dissonance it has for some reason just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, a little uneasy, and it builds and builds and builds until, boom! And there's a drum beat, and there's a jump scare, and it's... It's all designed to do to your emotions the same thing it would do in a symphony generations earlier. Because that's the the interesting thing about the orchestra and symphonies and, and p- other pieces created for the orchestra. you got to remember, unless it's written recently, if it's written in the 20th century, it was designed with the same intent and purpose that directors have making movies of putting certain shots in there, like Steven Spielberg's famous for his his kind of look past the camera shot where your mouth's slightly agape and you're just in awe of what you're seeing. And he's not showing you what they're looking at. He's showing you their reaction. And that's to make you feel like you're more engaged with the story. You're there with them. You're reacting in the same way. Symphonies did the same thing for previous generations. That's why certain things elicit certain emotions. That's why you have the the Claire de Lune, and it 
feels like a nice somber summer summer evening looking at the moon over water so different things like that where the music was written to elicit that emotion out of you just like the jump scare in a horror movie i always thought that novelists must be walking around mad with all the character voices in their head that then get onto their paper as a writer i've never been a short story writer or a fiction writer so i always found that like you have to be a certain level of crazy just to walk around with all these people in your head so composers have to be the same way because their people don't even have words they're not even people they're just sounds that all are like coming together no wonder beethoven had such a rough go with the substance and all the other things that he did because if you really are listening to it and trying and then trying if you've ever been creative with something mulling it over to 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 fix it out and work work it out it would have to be maddening but then also very exciting and fulfilling because you're creating something but i mean there's so much energy and effort that goes into creating those pieces well any music but you know that the original would be an orchestra or symphony i would say a a perfect example of an instrument being tied to something tangible other than an emotion. If you've ever heard, or especially if you've ever seen the cartoon rendition of Peter and the Wolf, where Peter's the strings, and the bird that comes along is done by the flutes, and the duck is the oboe, and the cat is the clarinet, and you you can tell each individual character's story through that instrument playing their part of the piece. They don't even need words. That's pretty cool. We use a lot of words here, though. we got a lot more coming up for you, all about sports. <laughs> coming up next from 3 to 6 with Sports Talk Mississippi. And stick with us. we got more for you. But Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at 2. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. Mississippi Media Production.